I, I was reminded that, as Scott was sharing this morning, that most of the times that God showed up visibly and, and did some miraculous work that changed the lives of his people or changed the course of history, most of those times happened when his people were gathered to hear from him, when they were together. And so that just reminded me that when we gather together as the church, that we should come here with expectation. We should come expecting to hear from God and expecting to be changed, to be more like him. That, I mean, that's what we should come to do. In fact, when we get together to worship, I think basically what we're doing is, is we are coming to church on a Sunday and we're not, just, we're not just coming to church. We're not just coming to a service. What we're doing is we're coming here and we are admitting our need for help. We're admitting our need for a Savior. We're admitting our need for God to be actively working in our lives. We're admitting our need for grace. That's what we're doing. And we're coming here and we start singing right away. Together we start confessing with our lips that we love God, that He loves us, that we are here to give ourselves to Him, that we are here to hear from Him, that we are here to remind each other of what God has already done for us in Jesus, that the future is secure. That's what we're here to do. And then when we're done singing, we, we sit down and we expect to hear from God. Isn't that what we're here for? We're here, we're here to hear from God. That's what, that's what the sermon is about. We're here to give God's Word its, its place, its proper place in our lives, the center. This is what has authority for us. This is what holds authority in our lives, and, and we give God's Word authority over our lives, and we're here to submit to it today, and that's why the preaching of God's Word is, is always going to take a center, center stage, so to speak, in our worship services, because God's Word is life to us. His Word is living and active, and it pierces to the innermost depths of our being to change us to be more like Jesus. So just, I was just thinking about that um, this morning and, and how, how great a privilege it is. I'd like to start by asking you today, have you ever had a pastor tell you, you should come to church more? Or, or maybe, maybe your pastor said, I haven't seen you at church lately. Now listen, if I've ever said that to you, I'm sorry. Alright? We mean well when we say things like that, but unfortunately when pastors talk like that, it kind of backfires. It can tend to backfire. Because what happens is some people start thinking that God is like looking down on us with a scorecard of some kind keeping track of our church attendance, or that God cares about church attendance. And some people feel obligated to go to church, and others feel like they have to go to church or something bad might happen to them, and many other people feel like going to church is unnecessary. It's just an option, you know, but it's not, it's not really that valuable to them. But what do you think? I'd like to ask you today, what do you think? Does God care about church attendance? Does going to church have anything to do with pleasing God? Well, we're, we're starting a new series uh, this morning, and we're calling it the four G's. And the four G's are gather, grow, give, go. Gather, grow, give, go. And I want you to remember these, because these will, this is not the last time we'll talk about these. Um, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four practices or habits that God uses to produce high-output disciples of Jesus. In other words, the people who are living the fullest and the richest and the most joyful and the most contagious kind of Christian life are doing all four of these all the time. They become habits for those people. And we're going to start uh, today with the first G, all right, which is gather. And gather is probably, out of all four of those practices, the most basic and the most controversial. 
And the reason it's, it's sort of controversial today is because of the age we live in. We live in an age where we have access to so much free information and where we have access to each other's lives from a distance through social media. And because of that, people are increasingly giving up physically meeting together. It's becoming less of a necessity because there's so many other ways to communicate. This is true in, of business. This is true of education. And it's true of church. It's true of church. Physically gathering together as disciples of Jesus to be the church is losing value among Christians today. That's a fact. There are tons of statistics to back this up, which I'll spare you. But the truth is that even the most committed people are attending church less often than ever. Less often than ever. In fact, 25 years ago, okay, I lied about statistics. This one, I'll show you this one statistic. About 25 years ago, committed evangelical Christians were attending church on average three times a week. Today, it's three times a month. So that's a change that we've seen over the last 25 years. Uh, is that wrong? Should we be worried? Is it a good thing? Are these people finding better ways to grow in their faith than attending a church service? Those are all questions that we need to consider. And as usual, we're going to look at, at, at one main passage from the Bible today for answers. It's found in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible this morning, you can uh, take them out and turn there. We're going to have the passage behind me on the screen. Uh, Hebrews is going to be towards the back of your New Testament, right before the book of James, right after the book of Philemon. Uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews or who specifically they wrote it to, but whoever they were, they knew a lot about the Old Testament. And they also, the, well, the book sort of reads like a really long sermon. I guess not really long, that's relative, but it would take the average reader about 45 minutes to read the book of Hebrews. It'd be a great way for you to spend 45 minutes this week. You have 45 minutes to spare, don't you? Just read the book of Hebrews in, in one sitting. It would take you about 45 minutes. And... Um, one of the central themes of the book of Hebrews is to warn followers of Jesus to never stop following Jesus. That's a major theme in the book of Hebrews. You see, because, because of suffering and because of difficulty and persecution and temptation, people walk away from Jesus. That's just true. It's true. It was true in the first century. It's true today. They realize that following Jesus is not easy. Jesus himself said it would be very hard. But for many people, it proves to be impossible. They come to a place in their life where they can't take another step towards Jesus and they fall away. They turn away from Jesus and they go back to their old life. And the writer of Hebrews understands well the difficulty of living the Christian life and also the danger of starting a relationship with Jesus and not following through with it. And so that's... That theme and those kinds of warnings come up all over the book of Hebrews, and it comes up in chapter 10, which we'll be looking at today, although we won't look at the warning, but we're going to look at what happens right before the warning. And so, in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 19 to 25, and I'll ask you to follow along with me. And this is what we read. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way... That he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Now the writer begins the passage with the word therefore. Okay, so he's building on what he just got done saying. And what he just got done saying is that Jesus Christ has done something that nobody else could. Jesus Christ has given us something that we could never have on our own. Jesus has forever changed the way people can relate to God. And the writer explains this by some, with some uh, Old Testament imagery. So he, he talks about Jesus having entered the holy places. And that phrase, the holy places, or entering the holy places is a phrase that describes the Holy of Holies, which was sort of the inner sanctuary of the Jewish temple or tabernacle. And that is where the presence of God was said to dwell. And so in, when the Old Covenant was active, okay, before Jesus died to establish the New Covenant, the Old Covenant was active, and only the high priest of Israel could enter the Holy of Holies and he could only do it once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifice for sins for the people. And there was a thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. There's two rooms. And that curtain represented a barrier between the people and God. And that barrier, of course, the curtain represents the barrier and that barrier is caused by sin. Right? That's what separates us from God is sin. The curtain was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide. It was made of 72 twisted folds or pleats of 24 threads each. This is an extremely uh, thick and heavy curtain. And that curtain was literally torn from top to bottom when Jesus breathed his last on the cross. Isn't that amazing? That's the imagery we have here in this text. Listen to Hebrews 9, chapter 12 chapter just before this one, says Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Not once a year, eternal. And then in verse 24, he says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. In other words, the tabernacle and the, 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 inner, the inner sanctuary, the most holy place where God's presence was said to dwell, that room was just a copy. It was never meant to last. It was to point to our eternal redemption, which is only secured through Jesus, through his blood. And because Jesus Christ has established a new covenant through his blood, and because Jesus is alive and acting as our constant advocate in the presence of God, we have confidence to seek God and to ask God for things and to be in his presence. We have peace with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that means that Christ is the new and living way to relate to God. We don't have to relate to God through the law anymore, through whether we've had a good day or a bad day. I mean, isn't it sort of true of us even today that if we have a bad day spiritually and we, we, we just have we, we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. We yelled at our spouse. We yelled at our kids. We made some poor choices. We reverted to some bad habit. 
Doesn't that always seem to affect the way we relate to God? But it shouldn't. Because of what Jesus has done, every day is the same as far as God is concerned. We have access into his presence, into the Holy of Holies, through the blood of Jesus. Whether we've had a good day or a bad day. In other words, and this is sort of what the text is saying. In really simple terms, we have something through Christ, and because we now have something, we can and should live a certain way. In other words, we possess something now. We, have, we possess something that can never be taken away from us, and because we possess something, we get to live a certain way. But the writer says, he, continue, he keeps saying in this text, we have this, so let us do this. You see that? That's what he's doing. We possess something precious that we were given as a gift. And because of what we now possess, we can live a new kind of life. And anytime the writer starts out by saying, let us, like let us do this, let us draw near, let us confess together. He is talking about some privilege that we have. In other words, when God gives us a gift that we possess... We have a privilege, we have this privilege of living a new kind of life. It's a privilege. It's a privilege, meaning not everybody has it. It's not something you can just earn or work for. That's a really important connection to make if we're going to understand this text. He's saying that we have something many people don't. We've been, giving a, we've been given a costly gift, and it is our privilege to do what comes next. We should never take it for granted, everything that we get to do. And so, what do we possess that we didn't before? According to the text, we have confidence to enter into God's presence. Uh, presence. We never had that before. People were fearful of entering into God's presence. What if he's angry with me? What if my sins haven't all been confessed or atoned for? God's judgment will rest on me, right? Some people feel that way today. But now, through Jesus, we have confidence. We also have access to God. We're able to draw near into his presence. We have Jesus. He's our great high priest. He's always advocating for us in the presence of the Father. Those are the things we possess, according to the text. Now... What can we do that we couldn't do before? What is our privilege? Well, we can draw near to God with confidence. We can cling to our confession, which is the gospel. We can draw near to each other and relate to each other in a way we never could before. We can encourage one another. Even when we fail and disappoint and fall short, we can forgive each other. But today I really want to focus in on our our attention on this access that we now have. And just how precious it is. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have a an kind of access that we never had before. And the first thing I want to point out is that we have free access. We have free access. And I honestly believe that most American Christians think about, when they think about gathering together with other Christians, physically meeting with other Christians for the purpose of building each other up, most Christians think of that as an option. This is an option for me. This is something I can do if it's convenient, if I have time, if it fits into my schedule, 
if it's something I feel I need, if I'm going through a hard time, whatever, right? And you can call that going to church if you want. You can call it something else if you want. I'm not going to try and convince you that the writer of Hebrews is thinking about, when he's writing this text, that he's thinking about people going to a church building. I don't think that's what he has in mind. However, he definitely has in mind people, Christians, getting together to be the church. It doesn't matter where they are, but they are getting together for the purpose of hearing from God and building each other up. There's no doubt about that. It can happen in a church service. It can happen outside of a church service. And to the people reading this book of Hebrews for the first time, whoever they were, gathering for worship in the Word of God was risky. It was something that could get them into a lot of trouble. In fact, meeting together in the presence of Jesus Christ, which is what we're doing right now, can actually get you killed in some parts of the world. In other parts of the world, church attendance is regulated by the government. You can't meet unless you're registered with the government, and even then, your meeting must be small. The government regulates church meetings in many places in the world. Church bombings can happen during worship services. We know that they've happened. For many Christians in our world today, there is a high cost to gathering with other believers. It's costly. Not here. We, on the other hand, live in a free society where we get to go to the church of our choice. And it's hard for people like us to imagine a secret Bible study or a secret baptism service, but they happen all the time in other parts of the world. And I can guarantee you that those believers are not going to those services because they have to or because they feel obligated. That is not why they go. They're going because they get to go. They get to, be a, they get to have a front seat to see what God is doing in the lives of other people. They get to hear from God. They get to invest in other Christians' lives. They get to be part of God's redemption movement in the world. Whenever they gather, they count it a privilege. They go because they get to. But we have this free access in the United States to gather regularly to worship and confess the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior King, which we just sang about. He's our Savior King. And we get to come together without fear and sing those praises, confess Jesus together. That's an awesome privilege, my friends. There are millions of Christians all over the world who don't have that. They just don't have it. So we have free access here. Another thing we have, according to the text, is we have father access. And I'll tell you what that means. What I mean is, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have access to God the Father, the creator of the universe. We can have a relationship with him where he knows us, he knows everything about us, and where we get to know him and walk through life with him by our side. We can relate to him as our good father. That is a privilege. It is not a right. The writer's saying, let's draw near to God with confidence. This is a privilege. Let's draw near to him with a true heart, with sincerity, in full assurance of faith, and a clear conscience, a clean conscience, seeking him continually, inviting his presence into our lives. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said back in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Listen to this. He said, since then we have a great high priest. Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. 
Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. (laughs) We gather together because we need help. Church is not a place for perfect people. Church is not a place for good people who have it together. Church is a place for people who are gathering together because we're admitting our need for God, our need for each other. We need grace. We need mercy. We need help. We need it every week. We need it every day. And because of Jesus, and this is the best, this is the best news there is. Because of Jesus Christ, we can stop avoiding God's presence. We don't have to run from God anymore. We can stop relating to God through our performance. We can stop trying to negotiate with God or keep, a, keep accounts with God. We can stop coming to God on the basis of our guilt. That'll never work. God does not wait for us to clean up our act before he invites us into, our, into his presence. He doesn't wait for us to get right with him. He doesn't wait for us to become like him before he accepts us. That is not good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ lived in perfect obedience to his Father. And the Father accepted and vindicated the Son as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And that anyone who trusts in Jesus is accepted by God as a son or a daughter. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We have, like, we have access to God. And we need to continually remind each other of what the gospel is and what it promises. Let's never think we are beyond our need for the gospel or that we can move on to deeper things. The gospel is our anchor. It keeps us centered in the grace of Jesus Christ during life's harshest storms. And it tells us that we have continual access to God, the kind of access that my four-year-old daughter has to me in the middle of the night. That's the kind of access we have. If my four-year-old daughter wakes up in the middle of the night and she says, I'm thirsty... You know what I'm going to say? Whatever, go back to bed. No, I'm not going to. Look, I might want to say that, but I would never say that. If my wife said that to me, I might say that. <laughs> but my four-year-old daughter, I, I, I can't. I will get up, and I will go to the bathroom with her, and I will get her a drink, and I'll carry her back to bed, and I'll, you know... I, That's access. She has access to me whenever she needs it. Okay? And that is the picture we're given of the kind of access that we have to Father God. He treats us like a good father. He doesn't withhold good things from us. He gives us every good thing we need and more. Even if that good thing is discipline. He doesn't withhold it from us. And we have that access because of the cross. Then lastly, we have another kind of access. It's called, I would call it family access. We have family access. And here's what that means. We have a kind of access to each other that we never had before. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. In other words, Jesus did not die on the cross only to remove our sin and give us peace in the presence of God. One of my favorite lines of any Christmas song 
ever written is God and Sinners Reconciled. And I can't remember off the top of my head what song that is, but the line that just keeps going over and over in my head. The good news of Christmas is God and Sinners Reconciled. That's it. But Jesus did not just die to reconcile God with sinners. He died also to reconcile sinners with sinners. He did not die to save individuals and keep them alienated from one another. He died to create a family where a family did not exist before. And that is why the writer of Hebrews says this in verses 24 and 25. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is something we never had the we never had that before. This is a privilege. We get to do this. And if the New Testament is any indication, then Jesus' plan for redeeming the universe after he ascended to his Father was this. Let's fill the earth with families of disciples. Let's call them churches. That's what we see unfolding as, after Jesus ascends into, uh, back into heaven. These churches will be made up of people from every race, every nation, every kind of background, every level of education, every kind of financial status, rich or poor. And they will be my witnesses to the world that God is greater than sin. And God has done something about sin. And God is going to undo all the brokenness and all the evil that we see every day. And these little families called churches are going to be a living picture of this, this thing called redemption. I think about that. That's what we're part of. God redeeming the universe. Ah, What is more awesome than that? Our gathering together like this on Sundays, whenever we gather, that's what it's for. It is a privilege, my friends, to meet together often and live like a family. It is a privilege to motivate one another to be active in loving people and doing good works. It is a privilege to come together and get fired up about the gospel and fired up about who God is and fired up about God moving through, throughout our world and calling people out of darkness into his marvelous light to be disciples of Jesus. There's nothing better than that. And we get to be part of that. That's what coming together is about. It's a privilege to gather as often as we do it. It's a privilege. It's not a chore. It is a privilege. So, I want to close by saying this. Your church attendance record, not that we have one, we don't, but if there was one, your church, honestly, we do not keep track of who's coming and how many times. We just, you know, it's not that important to us. However, Your church attendance record would not be a reliable measurement of your faithfulness to Jesus. Okay? It wouldn't be. But, whenever we gather, we're reminded of Jesus' faithfulness to us. Do you understand that? That's why we gather. This is not about your faithfulness to Jesus. It's about Jesus' faithfulness to us. That's why we get together. We need to come together to be reminded of that. To be stirred up. To be changed. It doesn't happen on your own. It doesn't. I mean, you can. Listen, 
I, I would never take anything away from your personal quiet time with Jesus, your time you spend with God. We just talked about that recently. That is invaluable. There is a time for that. And there's also a time for gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you should do both often. Both are necessary. Both are vital. And if you think about attending a worship service as some duty or obligation or something you have to do, something, something has to change, you know? Something has to change. And I know that regular church attendance can feel that way at times. I get it. I do. It can, it can feel that way to our kids. It can feel that way to us sometimes, right? I'd like to leave you with something I read from. I, I read this from a busy mom. She has a blog. I don't usually read busy mom blogs. I don't. Okay? Just to get that straight. But I did. This one was really good. And she has young kids, and she, she was talking about how she wrestled with difficulty getting her family to church on a weekly basis. I want to share with you what she said. This is so good. Those who have attended worship with small children for a period of years, as I have, might begin to feel that the effort expended in the fight for focus isn't worth the seemingly small return received during the service. You ever felt that way? In those moments of wondering if there is any real purpose to our being present in the worship service, we may benefit from reminding ourselves of God's sufficiency, the nature of worship, and our calling to minister to our children. While sometimes discouraged about our seemingly perpetual tardiness, for years we overlooked an important evidence of grace. Our family was in church together. We were late, but we were there. All of us. That fact alone declares something about God. He is worth a great deal to our family. He is worth the hassle, the effort, and the work it takes to get there. He is worth the embarrassment of showing up late. He is worthy of all of it and of so much more. That is what worship is. Declaring God to be worthy with our words and our actions. In, this, in the seat, as I interact with my children, my actions declare something about God too. They may declare that He is patient and kind and wants to draw them into His presence. Or they may declare that God is annoyed, impatient, and eager to discipline. While there is a place for setting and enforcing boundaries for, for, for the good of our family and others, how we go about it declares something about God to those around us, especially to our children. So when someone asks me whether or not we were able to worship while sitting with our littles, I hope I can say, regardless of how much the sermon and, of the sermon we caught or how many songs we were able to sing beginning to end, yes, God was there and He met us. He was there and He met us. Isn't that why we're here? We are here to meet with God. We are here because we believe that when we gather together with other disciples of Jesus, that he is, he is here with us. And He will never leave us or forsake us. He will speak to us. He will fill us with His presence. He will change our hearts. He will build us up. And God's Word is what gathers His people. And it always, it always has and it always will. His Word is our final authority. This is our life. And I need this. As a Christian, I need this. I need to feed on God's Word every day and every week. I need to be reminded of who God is. The church is not a place for good people who don't desperately need change. The church is for people who need God and who need each other. And that's why we gather.
That's our privilege. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together because of Jesus Christ and His blood who entered into your holy presence in glory. And we know that you accepted your son Jesus, you accepted his sacrifice, you vindicated him when he rose from the dead. And because of his sacrifice and because of his work on the cross, we are justified. We are free from guilt. We have a clean conscience. Because our sin has been covered with the righteousness of Christ. And we will never be the same. Every time we gather, we're reminded that we are your children. We're reminded that you love us. We're reminded that you will never leave us or forsake us. We're we're reminded that you are alive, Jesus, and that your power is at work in us. To make us more like you. To draw us near to God. And to change those people around us too. We pray that during this series, God, you would encourage us and Make us closer and stronger as a church and that you would be glorified through our worship and through the preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.